Well, good morning, church. My name's Phil Shields. I'm one of the teaching pastors here and really excited to be with you. Um, I don't necessarily like following uh, my friend who's leaving, but uh, that's what I'm called to do today. And so just thankful for them and love you, man. Well, this morning we are going to be finishing this series entitled Restored. This was a journey through the book of Nehemiah, and we have made it through six chapters of Nehemiah, and so we're going to be finishing there. As I was meeting with Hannibal and Sergio, who is preaching up at Tri-Village this week, we were talking this week, and as we worked through the scripture text, one of the things we started realizing is we believe this is probably the most important message in the series. So we save the best for last, okay? But we believe it's, it's one of the most important. And the reason we think that is because it challenges how we live and view the gospel of Jesus Christ. How that impacts our lives and it questions what we are truly gripped by. And so this morning, my prayer for us and my prayer for myself over this last week has been that the Lord would just have his way in each of our hearts, and that if there are some walls that are up in our hearts, that those would start to crumble down as we dive into this text, and that his word would speak to each of us. On May 20th of the year 2000, John Piper walked onto a stage in the middle of a field in Memphis, Tennessee. It was where thousands of college students were gathered for an event called Passion One Day. And he went to deliver a sermon that was titled, Boasting Only in the Cross. It's a powerful, powerful sermon that you can find online. But within that sermon, he ended up sharing a statement. It's a statement that I want us to to hear and listen to as we move into our text this morning. But Piper ended up saying this to this crowd of college students. He said, people who make a difference in the world are not people who have mastered a lot of things. They are people who have been mastered by a very few things that are very, very great. If you want your life to count, you don't have to have a high IQ and you don't have to have a high EQ. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to have good looks. You don't have to be from a good family or from a good school. You just have to know a few basic, simple, glorious, majestic, obvious, unchanging, eternal things and be gripped by them. And be willing to lay down your life for them. Which is why anybody in this crowd can make a worldwide difference. Because it isn't you, it's what you're gripped with. That is a powerful statement that he's making. And as I read that quote to you this morning, it's, It's because what we have to do, what we have to understand, and as we hear that, is what are we gripped with? So that as we open Scripture and we let that flow over us, may the Scripture penetrate our hearts, and may we be able to answer, this is what my heart is gripped with. 
because your heart is being battled for. There's a battle going on. And so what you are gripped with determines the decisions, the actions, and the fate trajectory that your life is going to take. And so we have to deal with this subject because we are living in a world full of much opposition. And so when opposition comes, what are you gripped with? So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles, your copy of the Scriptures, to Nehemiah 6. We're going to be starting at Nehemiah 6, verse 1. And I want to invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We stand in reverence for this sacred text. And so this is what the text says. When word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sambalet sent his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So I think as we read this text that this morning there is a simple reminder and principle for us. It's a principle for us to understand in life, and I think it's a simple one that I want you to see. See, when you're gripped by the beauty and grace of God, his mission becomes your focus. When you are gripped by the beauty and grace of God, his mission becomes your focus. So as we jump into this text, I believe this is the the principle that stands out. So as we jump in, let me give you a, a little bit of context or some backstory here of what is taking place. If you remember, Nehemiah left a very comfortable job. He was an assistant to the king of Persia which meant that he had the king's ear. He was uh, probably living within the palace. He had all the comforts, and he left that comfort and went to a demoralized city and a demoralized people. 
His job went from being somebody that spoke to a king to being somebody that motivated people. He was dealing with a financial crisis. He was caring for people by feeding them and using his own income to do that. And so as we've worked through the book of Nehemiah, what we find is that Nehemiah is truly a servant of God. In many ways, he is an agent of restoration to a city and eventually to a people. See, what we find in Nehemiah 1 through 6 is that Nehemiah is restoring a wall. He is building up a structure, but then in Nehemiah, the rest of the chapter, what, or the book, what we find is Nehemiah is then restoring a people. So he took care of the physical and then dealt with the spiritual. From the book of Ezra that is preceding this book, what we find is that the, the Persians supported the, the building up, the rebuilding of the Jewish temple. But now in this text, what we find in Nehemiah 6 is that there are some people that aren't happy with what is happening, and so they are bringing some opposition. And you might be saying, well, what type of opposition is happening in Nehemiah 6? Well, what we find is that the wall is built within 52 days. And so Nehemiah, very quickly at the beginning, he is giving us uh, a progress report. He is saying, this is what is taking place. The walls are up, but the gates aren't in. And so he is declaring that there is much progress, that there is much accomplishment. And then we find men trying to set up this meeting with him. Now, this might not seem like much to you. It might not seem like a, a big deal, but this is a meeting to devastate progress. This is a meeting to distract progress. See, it's at this point that Nehemiah could be sitting there and he's looking at the physical wall and he is amazed by all that has taken place. The people could be sitting there looking and going, look at all the improvements. Look at what is happening. And it's during those seasons when all this good and this sense of a good life is there that all of a sudden opposition comes. That hasn't changed for centuries. That when the good things in life come, usually there is opposition. But for some reason, in our human tendency, we believe that when life is good and life is growing, that really pain shouldn't be present. And so when pain comes, we start questioning God. And what we find here is that we don't ever see a questioning of God. See, what this text is reminding us is that whenever God calls you to something, you should expect opposition. Whenever you are being called to a mission from God, you should expect opposition because you are not living in a perfect world. You are living in a sinful world that wants to battle against the will of God. And so if you are a believer here, I want you to leave understanding that opposition is going to come. But we have a bigger God. So what we find in Nehemiah 6 is that we see that there are really three keys to attack that the opposition is going to take. 
Now, these are uh, difficult things to see when they come into our life. So we're going to start with the bad, and then we're going to go to the good news, okay? So the first thing that we find is that opposition will try to lure you away from the mission. Opposition will try to lure you away from the mission. We see this in verse 2 of Nehemiah 6, and then verses 4 and 5. So this message comes as an invitation. Come meet with us. I've received two invitations in the mail recently for some big life events. When I get those invitations, there's times that I I feel good, like I have been included in something that is really uh, joyful and I should rejoice. I am wanted there. But this one, Nehemiah gets, is to lure him to a place of harm. Now you might be wondering, why is that? Well, these men are asking him to come meet with them halfway between Samaria and Jerusalem. And what is happening is that they're luring him to a place where the hostile territories are there that would want to kill Nehemiah. And so what seems like an innocent invitation would have been a death sentence to the servant of God. And the reason that they send this invitation is because Nehemiah has, because of his obedience, has become not only a national leader, but he has become a spiritual leader to the people, to the Jews, And so he is a protected individual. He has people around him, so they can't come in and sneak in and get to him because now there are people that are guarding this wise and discerning man. So they want to lure him out. Now, what seems innocent is something that can be very devastating. And I want you to think about your life for a second. The evil one wants to lure you into places that seem innocent, but can have devastating results on your life. It gets to a point where we, we want to say, well, that's not that bad. It's, it's just something that is, is a part of life, and so I go and do that. Or, or I maybe allow something within my life that could be devastating to it. And what Nehemiah is pointing out is that opposition is going to come. Opposition is going to try to lure, and it might not always be obvious, but you need to be a discerning follower of God. So the opposition is going to try to lure you. The second thing the opposition does is opposition will be persistent. We see this in verses 4 through 7. So Nehemiah is rebuilding a wall. And when we, as disciples of Christ, are serving God, the same attacks happen to us. And so opposition is not going to launch one attack. Opposition is going to be persistent. See, what we need to see is that persistence is key in growth, but persistence is also key in wearing a person down and totally wearing them out, exhausting them. When my kids were young, I can remember several times that my wife and I, for some odd reason, decided that we needed to go to the grocery store with all four of us, and so they were little, and one was in the cart, and another one's walking, and Angie and I felt extremely confident, because we are amazing parents. (laughs) 
And so we walked in and thought, okay, we can take on this adventure and we can go in and we can get the things that we need and we can get out and it will be an easy task. It's something that we can handle. And so we would start gathering things into our cart and putting them in. And without realizing it, we are going through the bakery section. And my kids start seeing the cakes and the the cookies and the pies and they start asking for that those things and we are fending them off and we're saying no you don't need that we we can do something else and we we push this off and then we see the opposition the most sinful person in the grocery store is the woman who bakes the cookies and loves every child that walks into the store And she comes out from behind the counter and she gives our kids a cookie. Well, we're still feeling good about ourselves because we're not the ones that gave it to them. And so we move on and we go past aisles and there's the freezer section where the ice cream is. And then we pass the candy section and and the volume is getting louder from our children of the things that they want. And all of these things are around. And then we make our way to the most evil place in the entire grocery store, the checkout line. And it's evil because they put everything within the reach of a small child. And by the time that we make it there, our hair is almost pulled out and we surrender and our kids are walking out with candy bars and snacks uh, all over their face. Why is that? It's because they wore us down. They were persistent in, in going after things. And they kept, they kept asking and the volume was getting loud. There's a persistence to it. It's the same with opposition. Opposition is going to be persistent in your life because wearing you down has the ability to change what you are focused on. The evil one wants to wear you down so your focus moves away from the mission that you've been given. So the evil one is going to be persistent. And so let me ask you, where is the enemy being persistent in your life today? Where's the enemy being persistent? What is potentially fogging up your view And are you seeing this as a tactic that he is using to uh, uh, come against you and to wear you down? Because believer, you have been given a mission. But you're going to have opposition. Now there's a third attack that happens. And the third attack is that opposition is going to be full of lies. The opposition is going to be full of lies. And we see this as the, in uh, these verses 4 through 7 where this aid carries this message. And he carries the message. And so wherever he goes, what's interesting is that this is an unsealed message, meaning that anybody can ask to read it along the way. And so people would read this message, and they would read the words that are in that. And the message that is given is a message full of lies, attacking the character and attacking Nehemiah personally. Now, what do you want to do when that coworker is lying about you? Or a family member, or, or somebody that you thought was a friend is lying about you? 
Well, you want to deal with it. You want to fight, don't you? You want to fight for, for what's right there. And so the problem is that what we end up doing is that we want to deal with every little lie and clear our name and make sure that we don't have anything bad saying, uh, said against us. But the problem is, is that the opposition uses the lies to distract you from your purpose. When we start dealing with the lies, instead of keeping our focus on the mission, we have fallen into distraction. So understand that there are going to be enemies that come. And the evil one wants you focused on lies. Because if you start to believe the lies, you take your eyes off the goal. See, opposition is going to come. Opposition is going to try to lure you away. Opposition is going to be persistent. And opposition is going to be full of lies. And it's why we have to remember that when you're gripped by the beauty and grace of God, his mission becomes your focus. When you're gripped by that. So I don't know where you're at. Your life might be full of opposition right now. It might be tactics that are entering your mind. It might be physical people. But what you need to understand is that if you are a disciple of Jesus, there is opposition, but you serve a greater God. You serve a greater God. And so after seeing what opposition is going to do, I want you to see what Nehemiah reveals to us about what followers of God do and what we surrender to. See, Nehemiah is dealing with these things coming, and Nehemiah reveals that whenever there is a servant of God, those that are disciples of Jesus, that we have a certain way that we are to live and surrender ourselves. So what I want you to see is that the first thing that followers of God do is that followers of God are gripped by a great mission. They are gripped by a great mission. See, in verse 3 in Nehemiah 6, we see that Nehemiah's reply to this invitation comes. And if you're reading that, you might be going, well, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But I want you to remember, he was a high official in the king of Persia's court. He probably had the king's ear. He had the luxuries that came with that. And then he left and he went to a place where walls are broken down and people are devastated and enemies are creeping at the door. And for some reason, Nehemiah can look, and in his reply, he says, I am carrying on a great project. See, he's an agent of restoration. He is an agent of restoration first to the walls, then for a people. And here's what's beautiful in this this reply. I want you to get what the word project means there. See, Nehemiah uses this word, and it can actually be translated mission. So he is carrying on a great mission. He's carrying this this mission on, and he's part of it, and it's a great mission because it was designed by God. But not only that, the root of this word can be read, read as this, sent on mission. I am carrying on 
and sent on mission. How can Nehemiah say this when he is going from the luxuries to the devastation? It's because his time spent with God gives him knowledge and a discernment to know what he was a part of. That what he was doing was something sent from heaven and not from any earthly individual. He was being sent on a mission from the creator God and he had the discernment to know what he was called to. And to even know that in the first verses of of this text that he knows that these people are his enemies. But he was going to be stuck on the mission that God gave him. He was not going to wander away from that. So the, the gates, they weren't up yet. But what may seem complete still had more work to be done. He knew what had to happen. So let me ask you this question. For you personally, are you recognizing the mission that God has given you? Are you recognizing the the mission that that he's given you? It it might use your possessions, your job, your, your bank account, your time, but all of those things that you tend to run after aren't the mission. They are just tools to be used for the mission. See, when... When the mission came and rescued you from your sin and shame, you were then welcomed in to carry out the mission to those around you. So if you claimed that you are a Christian, you have a mission because you have been dropped exactly where you are for God's heavenly purpose. And so followers of God are gripped by the mission that they have been given. And let me plead with you that your time with God will give you the knowledge and discernment to carry it out. Just like Nehemiah. So the second thing is that followers of God are persistent in their commitment. Followers of God are persistent in their commitment. We understand that Nehemiah's enemies were persistent. So in order to fight the persistence, Nehemiah clung to a God who was giving him a persistence in the commitment of the mission. See, what we have to understand is that persistent opposition demands persistent commitment. So he says, why should the work stop? He understood that the work he was called to do was so significant that he couldn't be half-hearted. He had to be committed. He could not get distracted. He had to move forward. And this wasn't a great work because of the stone or the size of the walls. It was a great work because God's name was on the line God's name was reflected in every stone that was put on that wall, and that wall was going to protect God's people. And so if God's name and God's people were at stake, the commitment needed to be persistent no matter what was coming. So is your commitment so persistent that it's going to battle the distractions that come? Are you seeking God? Are you you claiming that every morning you understand that the opposition is going to come and you are asking for a strength to be persistent in your commitment to him? 
Because this is what Nehemiah is doing. But let me make it clear that your persistence is not for your glory. It's for the glory of God. That his name would be famous, not your own. The third thing that followers of God do is they cling to truth and prayer. We like glamour in life. Uh, If something is glamorous, we are drawn to it. I can remember growing up, the glamour of the Air Jordan shoes. And I was drawn to it, not only for the look, but because of the name that was on that shoe, and I wanted it. And it doesn't change as we get older, it's just that the glamour looks different and it gets more expensive. And so we chase after that. And so what we have to understand, though, is that the mission might not be glamorous by the world's standards. But when it's God's name and it's for God's people, it becomes a great mission. And so remembering that the truth of God and his promises are at stake and understanding that all strength comes from God, Nehemiah clings to that truth and he prays. Look at verse 9. He says, They were trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. See, Worry or fear is a focus away from the great mission. Worry is a focus away from the great mission. And so the evil one wants to prey on us with fear. When we focus more on our fear, we miss out on what God is wanting to do. And it's in those moments that we have to understand that that God gives the strength to battle that opposition. And so what does Nehemiah do in the midst of all this? Instead of thinking that he is great because the walls have gone up, he's going, I'm not great, God is great, and I go to him for my strength. And so this takes place, and so he goes to the source of strength. And what we find is that throughout these nine verses, Nehemiah gives us a glimpse into the future. He's giving us a glimpse into the ultimate mission that God has set in play. And he gives us a glimpse into the person of mission. The person of Jesus Christ. See, he gives us a glimpse of Jesus who who was gripped by the mission of God's glory and our saving. Uh, Jesus, who left the luxuries of heaven, the, the comfort of heaven, the perfection of heaven, to come to a demoralized people in a demoralized earth that needed restoration. And instead of falling to the temptations of the lure, that, of walking away from that, what we find is that Jesus stays committed. In fact, in Luke 13, we end up seeing this text where Jesus is having this sorrow over Jerusalem, the very place that Nehemiah was building the wall. And the Pharisees come to him and they say that you need to leave and Herod wants to kill you. And so they're saying this to him. And Jesus responds this way, go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. 
So in Luke 13, verses 32 through 33, we end up seeing Jesus being persistent to the commitment of the mission of God and saying, I'm going to continue on. I'm going to continue doing this. And it's because Jesus is gripped by the mission and is going to be persistent in it. Opposition is going to come. On top of that, later in John 17, what we end up finding is that Jesus is uh, this beautiful prayer that he is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in verses 25 and 26 of that text, he says this, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus is praying this because he is staying committed. Moments after that prayer, he's arrested. And his journey to the cross begins. All the way to the end. And why? It's because what may seem complete still has more work to be done And so Jesus had a picture of you and of me, and he said, I'm continuing on the mission. And not only does he bring you into the fold, into the walls of his grace and his mercy, he ends up saying, you are a part of this, and I am sending you out to proclaim my glory and my salvation. And so are you committed to the mission Are you committed to the mission of seeking and saving uh, the loss that Jesus had? Because the reason at the very end of the day why you and I commit and are willing to give of ourselves to this great mission is because God gave himself first to us in the person of Jesus. We are his great mission and he is including us in that. So what are you gripped by? How are you viewing? How are you viewing God? So it's said that Cyrus, the founder of the Persian Empire, once had captured a prince and his family. And when they came before him, the monarch asked the prisoner, what will you give me if I release you? The man said, the half of my wealth. And if I release your children... Well, everything I possess. And if I release your wife, your majesty, I will give myself. Cyrus was so moved by this man's devotion that he freed them all. And as this family was returning home, the prince said to his wife, wasn't Cyrus a handsome man? With a look of deep love for her husband, she said to him, I didn't notice. I could only keep my eyes on you, the one who was willing to give himself for me. So believer, when you're gripped by the beauty and grace of God, his mission becomes your focus. And the people around you need to hear the message of salvation. And you are there because God has given you that place 
to seek and save? What are you gripped with? Father, I pray. I pray that you would help us in this, that we would realize that you have welcomed us into a mission the way that you did Nehemiah and that we are about restoration. And so I pray that we would go boldly into the mission field that you have given us. So lead us in that. Into your name I pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand. And I want to remind you that next week we start Missions Fest, and so I want to encourage you to be here for that. And if you need prayer today, I want to encourage you to come down front to pray with someone that is down here. But as we leave, one of the things that Hannibal, Sergio, and I were talking about was that we want to take some action. And so if there are some things in your life where you're going, I have been put in this mission and I need to pray for that. We want to pray this prayer together. So I'm going to read it out loud. We're going to put it on the screen. And if you're right now, if this is something that you are needing to pray, I want you to just pray it silently in your heart. So let's, let's pray this. Oh, Lord, God of heaven, great and awesome God, grant us strength as we carry on with this great mission. Grant us discernment as we hear the voice of our adversaries. Grant us confidence as we confess the weakness of our hands. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. We love you. Have a great day.